0: Cricket Sadist Hour Umpiring Challenge Is this out or not out out!
1: Tune in next week to find out that is the name of the show. I am Jared Kimber. Today we're going to talk wicket-keeping, and we brought along maybe the the premier wicket-keeper of our times, a man who recently took what many have described as a routine
0: stumping at, at the Oval. It's Andy Altman. Hello, Jared. I mean, it wasn't wasn't really a routine stumping. Standing up to the waspish medium pace of Crit Viz's Phil Oliver. Very few keepers in world history would have ever stood up to that. I mean, he's clocking what... 80, 85 miles an hour went on the way to the ground in his car. Does he speed on, on the M4 <laughs> with, a, with a tailing wind? But you are a wicketkeeper. Well, not really. No, no I used to not. do it. As I've a, seen you do it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I used to do it as a as a kid, partly because I was so bad at throwing. I think I was made to be wicketkeeper, uh, and so I kept for a couple of years um, with minimal skill. I remember one game in which I missed two stumpings, which I took the ball cleanly. And then missed the stumps with my switch of the arms whilst appealing to the square leg umpire. Um, I once had the opportunity to stump Ray
1: Parler. Really? In a charity cricket game. Sorry if you don't know anything about football. What was it? The Romford (laughs) Pele? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't do it because I felt sorry for him. And then he went on to smash the ball
0: everywhere. Uh, uh, then I didn't do it for years and then I've done it in a few games recently. I stumped Alex Tudor in a charity match. Albeit that he had just reached his 100 and turned around to me and said, Andy, next ball, stumping. And was probably four yards down the pitch and missed the ball by eight feet. But I did take out all three stumps, which I believe is technically the best way to do a stumping. Can I tell you about my favourite wicketkeeper of all time, which yeah. is not you, sadly? Um, okay.
1: You're, you're top four Seymour um, Clark. Right. So Seymour Clark
0: played. For- I mean, that's not necessarily a man who's top of everyone's favourite wicketkeeper list, but, you know. He should be He's to their own, Garrett. at the end of this story. He'd like he will be. Yeah.
1: So Seymour Clark, I uh, worked for the railways. I think in, in the UK somewhere. Uh, well, somewhere around Somerset. I'm going I'm to assume because he played for Somerset, and he was a uh, guy who didn't sort of grow up playing a lot of cricket. But one day for the you know his local railway team, I think it was one of his work teams. He uh, picked up the gloves because they didn't have a keeper that day. And it turned out that Seymour Clark was a savant of wicket keeping, just like an absolute genius that he took everything. And this guy basically went from not being a wicketkeeper to being asked to come up and play for Somerset. And Seymour Clark was so proud of himself, he went out and he bought a brand new bat in the days when you started to buy bats when you played cricket. <laughs> he went out and he bought a brand new bat and he played for Somerset. And if if I remember the story correctly, I don't remember the bowler's name, but he was he was such an amateur wicketkeeper up until that point that when he went to wicketkeep the first time for Somerset, he walked up to the stumps. And I had to tell him that you don't do that for every bowler. And Somerset had a legitimately quick bowler who would be bowling to him. So he, he was told to come back from the stumps. That sort of tells you how amateur he was. But I think this does it more, Andy. Seymour Clark played five first-class games. He had
0: nine first-class innings. You know how many runs he made. Tell, okay. tell the world. Tell Well, he made a grand total of not one, not two, but zero runs. He made zero runs in nine games with a brand new bat. Yes.
1: Also, I can't remember which team it was, but one team felt so sorry for him in his last or second last game that they actually started bowling poorly on purpose in order for him to
0: hit the ball off and get a runner, And he still couldn't do it. But this is what... To me so so he was left-stranded, knocked out twice. So we don't know what would have happened in those events. <laughs> the hundreds that he was, yeah. he was caught up sure on. Not.
1: But I will say this. The, the, the greatest thing about this story is that at the end of it, uh, he was offered a of the contract for next year. But he said no, and he, he went back to train driving. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
0: there's an article about him on Cricket uh, on Info by David Foot from about 10, 10 years ago. So you can read more about him there. Uh, I, I have a, a, a personal favourite, uh, contemporary of Seymour Clark, Hopper Levitt. Hopper Levitt? Who was um, basically back up at Kent to the, the great Leslie Ames, but a significantly less good batsman and uh, played one test for England, scoring 5 and 2, 175 games for Kent, in which he took 195 stumpings. So that's it all his old first-class career. 175 games, 195 stumpings. More than a stumping a game. Yeah, which is. Utterly insane, frankly, by uh, any standard. Yeah. Also, I heard a story about him that he was fond of a tipple and turned up slightly worse for wear uh, for a game one day. And this may well be apocryphal, uh, and it's probably been told about many keepers. but I heard that it was about Hopper Levitt. And um, he had to be sort of helped into his kit and shoved out onto the field and they <coughs> put him behind the stumps. And first ball just flew straight past him for four byes. Second ball, batsman flicks Inside edge, down the leg side. He dives and takes a blind one-handed catch. And uh, the team said, well, how the hell did you do that? And he said, I don't know, but it's pretty good for the first ball of the day. <laughs> Classic <laughs> cricket story. Yeah, every from every wicketkeeper who's ever existed.
1: <laughs> um, so so we are going to talk about wicket keeping a little bit today, um, partly because of um, the fact that wicket keeping changed so much over the years. And uh so when I started club cricket, wicket keepers were still putting steaks in their hands instead of innards um that would have been tasty at the end of the day, wouldn't it? Yeah. man, sweat and uh, the you know, wicket keeping gloves always have like not just
0: a sweat smell but a weird rubbery yeah. I think you can still get that dish in one of Heston Blumenthal's restaurants. But. I'm not even going. You're going to get it. Get it from the best. Um, but he actually but, keeps Alan Not in a cage in his <laughs> restaurant and just has a bowling machine firing balls at him for a night. bit like <laughs> the IKEA
1: test yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, we want to talk about how much we're has changed because obviously
1: Seymour Clark would not exist today. Hopper <laughs> um, <laughs> Levitt probably not either. And, and the the game has changed a lot. Um I talked to Gary Wilson not that long ago, and I said, "How did you get into wicket keeping? Expecting you know." Oh, Good at it as a kid or whatever, and he's like, No, a bunch of us were picked for the under 15s team of Ireland, and they realized afterwards they hadn't picked a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> so we were asked if any of us would be interested. Um, and, and obviously, Aaron Gilchrist has become sort of the big thing that's about. how Rahul Dravid kept for India, isn't it? You yeah, would, oh, whoops, we picked the squad already? <laughs> um, weird that it never happens with fast bowlers, <laughs> um, but yeah, so essentially. But, you know, we're very interested in in how um, wicketkeeping has changed. Adam Gilchrist gets all the credit for this, of course. But I think we can prove today that he's almost the end of the evolutionary um, change rather than the beginning of it. Is that fair?
0: I'm not sure that's quite fair. You're wrong. Because I think, I think there had been an, an evolution, but he was then still a significant leap. That's fair, leap. yeah. What you said also, a significant
1: leap. He didn't use his feet, though, did he? He had to leap. That's what modern wicketkeepers is doing. <laughs> Hello, I am the non-existent Russian cricketer, Pablo Chuckfish, and
0: you are listening to the Cricket Sages Hour. So, Jared, we're looking at the history of wicket keepers as batsmen in their test match teams. It's very much the history of the number seven batting position, one of the all-time classic batting positions right up there with the likes of three and four. <laughs> it's top 11. Um, definitely <laughs> top 11. Um And it's interesting to chart the usage of a wicketkeeper as a number seven batsman. Now, uh, up until 1930 in Test cricket, only uh, 9% of all innings by number sevens were by wicketkeepers. 70% of the time wicketkeepers batted 8 to 11, and there was 21% in the top six. The next phase, over the next three decades, the 30s through uh, to the end of the 50s, Um, went up from 9% of innings at number seven by keepers to 21%. And the tail end proportion, batting eight to 11, went down from 70 to 45%, 34% in the top six. Then from the 60s until the end of the 1990s. Until Gilchrist. And basically until Gilchrist, who made his debut right at the end of 99. um, Keepers batted seven in 38%. It's gone from nine to 21 to 38%. Um, 37% from 8 to 11 and a drop in the number of innings by keepers in the top 6 down to 24% since 2000 uh, it's gone up, so it went up from 9% up to 1930, then 21% up to the end of the 50s then 38% up to the end of the 20th century since 2000 58% of keepers innings have been at number 7 and just 15% have been from 8 to 11 in the tail end compared with that initial period where 70% of keepers were tail enders of keepers innings within the tail end so
1: there, there's a few things that, that are interesting I was obviously just the, the curve upwards of batting yeah. at number 7 but also I wonder how much that in the early part of the game we
0: were not very dogmatic with batting numbers there was a, a strong element of that yeah uh, but you still had a lot of keepers who were bad especially this number 11 yeah you know, they were bat 11 and there were a lot more bowling all-rounders, and a uh, lot of changes in batting order dictated by the conditions of the game after, in particular, rain. Um, but I do think, certainly in the last thirty years,
1: we have started to think of different positions for different numbers of uh, di- different numbers for different kinds of players, and wicketkeeping is certainly the most obvious one without. I, I you know, there are a lot of players, say, Matt Pryor, Adam Gilchrist, Charlemagne, Bairstow, all of which don't necessarily need to bat at seven. But it's become a almost that's-where-you-go yeah. position. So it's, it's very interesting, I, I
0: think. Um, I, I think it's also, in, in some ways, you can sort of chart the evolution of, of bowling in some way. So, uh, and I think there's a, an impact of even uh, over it and clearly the nature of pitches. So in phase one up to the end of the 20s, Overage often twenty to twenty-three an hour. Um, uh, so wicketkeeping was demanding. The pitches were often much more difficult. There was a lot more slow bowling, so they were standing up. So this was some wiki- of that was pre-liquid manure as well. So <laughs> yeah. wicketkeepers are literally speak a hit a lot. Um, and as you said, they had steak in their gloves. <laughs> so um, so it required constant physical, technical, yeah. mental skills. So then you might have the idea that not only would wicketkeepers be kind of exhausted. But also, this is a highly specialized technical position. Um, uh, whereas I guess as pitches got better, um, and, uh, spin became less dominant, uh, as a force, then maybe it became slightly less technically specialized.
1: Yeah, which I think is, if you look at modern cricket maybe the last sort of holdouts for a kind of a more specialist wicketkeeping role is in Asia where a lot of those things still happen it is very tough I interviewed Bob Taylor uh, for a wicketkeeping piece I wrote once and he was basically saying that you know, it's not like keeping in anywhere else. It is the, it's the biggest test of a wicketkeeper that you ever have. Um, and he was saying it's even more of a test when you have a really good batsmen at the other end, cause you're ex- not expecting, you know, some of the miss a ball and that, that sort of thing. So it's almost the last test. Whereas realistically you can see why if you've got decent hand eye coordination and, and softish hands and you're a good athlete, you can be a or Johnny Besto in the West without having to specialise as much in wicketkeeping.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely, definitely true. Also, I mean, I, I guess set against what I said earlier on was that he was now all the responsibilities of the modern wicket keeper, uh, chief sledge executive, key psychological disintegrator and DRS appeal probabilistician. So, you know, there were, you know, there were certain elements that they didn't need to, need to do. So then from the 30s, you had guys like, uh, Jock Cameron of South Africa, a very fine attacking batsman and Les Ames uh, of England, um, so before Ames there had been two centuries by wicket keepers in fifty years of Test cricket and Ames scored eight. So that was although he had a pretty poor record against Australia, I think, but um, that was a you know, he was the first kind of dominating wicketkeeper batsman.
1: I've got something for you on that. If on, like, you mentioned Jock Cameron yeah. and Les Ames. They're the only two wicketkeepers before World War II that averaged over 30. Right, And I yeah, think yeah. the next closest is Australia's Sammy Carter, who averaged 22. <laughs> so, to, you know, yeah, there's a perfect, perfect um, uh, situation there where you can tell 100% how much these guys were wicketkeepers first and batsmen. And when Les Ames died, he was called the first wicketkeeper batsman, I think, by Winston. Um And, you know, Jock Cameron was a bit of a slogger. A good slogger, you know, yeah. I mean, my, my kind of people. <laughs> but I, I don't think he was as much a batsman as, no. obviously, Les Ames was. Who would have averaged 84 had
0: he not kept <laughs> Yeah, he had 102. Uh, Les Ames had 102 first-class hundreds and 37,000 runs. To be fair, though, 43. Most people before World
1: War II had 100 first-class. Yeah, that is true. Yeah,
0: yeah. 60% uh, of the population. It's only Hopper Lever and I Seymour
1: Clark yeah. who did it.
0: I think Stanley Baldwin, the uh, former Prime Minister, he, he had 80 first-class hundreds just by just hanging around in the 1930s. Ames had 418 stumpings in 593 games. Um, well, there's certainly more spin, and also there was
1: there was that sort of hybrid bowler that we talked about before. We're calling the kind of Sid Pegler-like bowler who is listed as a seam bowler in some places and a leg spinner somewhere else. Uh,
0: causes havoc with stats. Yes. The mixed stroke unknown category on Stats career is the bane of my life, Jared. It still happens though, too. I, I went to West Indies at eight game the other day. I was looking up um,
1: someone, and they just didn't have what he bowled about. I feel confident enough to say that Sherman Lewis bowls right now in fast media. It's, really good.
0: <laughs> it's the unknown arm. That, you get a few that have lurked through with unknown arm. Yeah. That's uh, when that ought to be rectifiable. I don't know there's a, there's a couple of valuable ambidextrously now. So ju- during that period up to the end of the, the 50s, uh, number seven was generally where all rounders batted. And the best keeper batsmen tend to bat higher than that. Uh, like John Waite, Imtiaz Ahmed of Pakistan, and Clyde Walcott, who, bad, who played uh, 15 of his 44 Test matches as a keeper and averaged 40 as a keeper batsman, and then I think 64 as a pure batsman. Um, so uh, when he was young, and took quite a, took quite a few wickets as well. But I think he had a, uh, 11 stumpings and 11 wickets in Test cricket. Um, uh, That's so, the kind of facts you get here on the cricket. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Are you listening? Uh, so during that period, in the, through the 40s and 50s, uh, Godfrey Evans. One of the Great wicket keepers uh, became the first long-term specialist regular number seven wicketkeeper, um, but his career average was only twenty point four, and the fifties was quite a low-scoring decade. Even so, it was a, yeah. you wouldn't last long with that in the in the modern game. No.
1: So David Lemon has a book that was released in nineteen eighty four called The Great Wicket Keepers. I own one of the copies. <laughs> um,
0: the others is under under, under lock and key somewhere <laughs> in the, the Tower of London. Um, it's also one of the few wiki-keeping books that doesn't have a pun in the name. Right. <laughs> caught, <laughs> caught
1: behind, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but um, uh, basically, so Jack Blackham, uh, We'll talk. I'll talk about Jack Blackham uh, quickly. So he was Australia's wiki-keeper in the first ever game. He was called the Prince of Wiki-keepers. Um, Fred Spoffers didn't play in the first ever test match because they picked Blackham ahead of the... I can't remember who the wicketkeeper was that he wanted to pick, but um, and then he saw um, Blackham keep and Keepen completely uh, converted to him. He had a batting average of 15.6. Dick Lilly had an average of 20. Tiger Smith had an average of 8.69. Burt Strudwick, 7.93. Bert Oldfield, 22.65. George Duckworth, 14.6. Don Talon, 17.1. Wally Grout, 15. And as you said, God, Godfrey Evans, 20.4. So... Of the people in this book, of the greatest wicketkeepers of all time, it's Les Ames, a little bit of from Jock Cameron, and then just dead air. <laughs> like, some of those guys are incredibly low, like, um, um, you know, Strudwick and Tiger Swift. And I know some of them batted in lower batting eras, but there's no batting era where 8.69 is a good batting average.
0: No, and, and Strudwick was generally number 11 for England. Um, and he played 674 first-class matches. One year. Uh, <laughs> And uh, made no centuries and only nine half centuries. What was his first class average? First class average was a respectable ten point eight. Oh, in fine. In test seven point nine three. High score of twenty four in forty two innings. I mean, Twitter would be going nuts about it, no matter how brilliant this wicket keeping was. So um, it certainly uh, changed, has not it? Yeah, it, I think we can definitely say that, Jared. Yes. All right. So
1: let's go into the post-war then, and let's do that as a separate thing. So we can even do that all the way up to Russell and Stuart. So do you just want to jump in when you have stuff? Okay, sure. Um, um, so, yeah, so po- – <clears throat> Sorry. Post-war is when it all really starts to change. So we, um, we have Walcott – uh, we then had Budi Kandarana, Kunder, uh, is that his? Kandarana, isn't it? Kandarana, oh, yeah. Kandarana, I don't know about We had Farouk Engineer, uh, Imitaz Ahmed. Um, there was John Waite, I think, who could yes, also uh, back. Yeah. Um, Jerry Alexander, one of the last sort of famous white players for the West Indies, who made a lot of runs. I think he might have made a double hundred, Jerry Alexander, as well. All of those guys... Um, basically started averaging around 30. And 30 sort of became the benchmark of a wicketkeeper. And I suppose that's sort of the era um, in that 50s and 60s when we have wicketkeeper batsmen.
0: Yeah, and and then that sort of carried on through the 70s. Australia had uh, generally didn't have strong batsmen as keepers. They had uh, through the 60s Grout and then Jarman and Tabor, and they were all averaging mid teams, I think. Yeah. Then uh, Rod Marsh came in. Eyeing Gloves, he was known. And, uh, yes, but uh, averaged uh, well into the 30s for much of his career and then tailed off him at the end. England had Alan Knott, probably the greatest number seven of the 20th century, averaged 41 in 81 innings. Few people uh, remember so. him that way. That's no, the greatest three, yeah, seven. he averaged only 23 in 68 innings elsewhere in the batting order. We also had, there was a
1: couple of um, interesting players as well, like Dennis Lindsay, who... Uh, it destroyed Australia in one or two test series. I can't remember now, but absolutely destroyed them.
0: Maybe made 300. Yeah, he made his only test hundreds in one series.
1: Yeah, and he didn't have a great first class record, but but yet again showed what a wiki keeper batsman could do because quite often, um, Australia was not in the worst position and Dennis Lindsay would come in and completely change it. Then obviously Alan Knott. But the interesting thing about Alan Knott is he was replaced with Bob Taylor,
0: who was a throwback to the sort of Godfrey Evans, um, style of keeper, wasn't he? he Yes, yeah, so Taylor had been not understudied through the 70s, and when not went to play World Series cricket, Taylor finally, in his late 30s, I think, got his chance and uh, was, yeah, he was some sort of battered at eight or nine, get chipping with the odd useful 50, but he was very much a sort of pure wicket keeper.
1: But I would say, having looked at this a lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot. And being the only person in this room who owns the great Keepers book. Um, that, um, it's England that really, I know, obviously, um, Gilchrist gets, gets a lot of credit and, um, but it's really England who had pushed the batting wicketkeeping as far as they could. And was there not a test, and you probably know more about this than I do, was it Jim Parks and John Murray? in the West Indies could you tell me about that was it Jim Park who played as a batsman for England wasn't a wicketkeeper and then suddenly a year after he took
0: up the gloves for Sussex came back as a wicketkeeper does, does any of that sound true <laughs> so through the 60s uh, Parks and Murray were England's two main wicketkeepers a few others had a handful of tests uh, Parks had played one test for England in 1954 as a batsman against Pakistan and his next test was in 1960 by which time he'd become a uh, uh, a wicket-keeper. I don't think he started keeping with Sussex till 58, though, or right. something ridiculous. Um, so he ended up with 36,000 first-class runs, 51 centuries, an average of 34 in tests, 46 tests, 200 with a decent average of, of 32. And he was up against Murray, who's considered the much sort of purer wicket-keeper, um, whose first-class average was uh, 23.5, and, uh, and test-average 22, although he did get one uh one century, but that was almost a, a sort of philosophical debate through English cricket in the in the 60s, so Parks played uh, yeah, sort of 40-odd as keeper, Murray 21, and then Alan Knott came along as sort of the hybrid of, uh, of both of them as we the that debate for a, a, a generation, and then it, it sort of resurfaced then in uh, the early 90s when England had Jack Russell, who was a tremendous wicketkeeper and a very useful batsman who got you know, a decent average for a keeper historically, and got some quite hard runs.
1: Yeah, but the problem with his runs were, and and this isn't, is that there was there wasn't a lot of impact to his runs. He was hanging on. There was a lot of Ashley Giles about his batting, wasn't there? And and, and I'm not saying they're not important, but the way that they were seen from an outsider is like, um whereas if Alex Stewart made 35, there would be an impact of his 35 runs, whereas Jack Russell made 35, there would be no impact. And, and yes. I think that's unfair, but that's why. Yeah.
0: Oh, I guess the impact is as a support player with whoever he was back yeah. with. So, I mean, it all comes down to how you measure that. But, yes, Stewart, uh, superb player. As an, When he wasn't keeping, he averaged, I think, 46 in tests. Um, as a keeper, he was down in the low 30s. He didn't but, average that much more than Russell did. No. So the question then you could ask is were England improved by uh, the few extra runs that Stuart was getting as keeper batsman compared with Russell, or were they damaged by the fact that they lost their basically their top their best top order player? Yeah. And it's also the other interesting thing about
1: that that whole thing was a lot of it was to do with the sort of psychological impact of it because if you have an extra batsman like him, there's no psychological impact of having Jack Russell batting. Yes, he just he he inhabits the crease. Whereas knowing that you've got to get three, four, five wickets before Alex Stewart comes in, there yes. is a psychological impact to that as a bowling team. Yeah, although
0: he would, he would be batting higher when he was, yeah, a five he or six, was, didn't he? Yeah, and sometimes even an open the wicket, I think uh, 34.9 was his average as a as a keeper. Yeah. Um, Russell's twenty seven point one. So kind of insignificant as an eight run difference basically, but then you're getting a eleven run drop off from Stewart, not as a keeper. Now some of that is due to when he played. He was playing yeah, you know, through the latter years of his career when he might have been declining anyway as a yeah. keeper so maybe that average was coming down but uh, uh, but it's very interesting and
1: England had tried it but it's not just Parkson Murray or Ames they'd also tried it in the 80s with one day players hadn't they, they had Ian Gould
0: and a few other guys who came in who were seen as backing keepers weren't they yeah and uh, Graham Fowler kept wicket for England in a few one days I think he's one of the uh, only England wicket keepers to have taken two stumpings in a game I think I'm right <laughs> what do you think? if I remember my own Research. So and they certainly,
1: they certainly were ahead of the curve for a long way. It's just the problem was that Russell didn't work, and you can't replicate not or aims because they were just incredible players. Yes. Well, Russell didn't not work. Oh, sorry. Stuart Stewart didn't work as a keeper. That's. Oh well,
0: Stuart... Did work as a keeper batsman, but he didn't work as well. But but I don't think he did because I think they, as you said,
1: to take away your best batsman for an eight run differential when we know that Russell's keeping is probably worth more than eight runs per innings because he was, I mean, for those who haven't seen Jack Russell, um, other than, other than, well, no, I, I, he probably the best wicket keeper in Test cricket in the last 40 years. Um, you know, or at least last 30 years, I'd say he's the best wicketkeeper that we've had. Only Prasanna J. Wardner would be on a, on a level. And as good as Prasanna J. Wardner was, and I think he was an incredible wicketkeeper, I think Russell was still better. So to give that up for an eight-run differential and losing your best batsman, I'm saying that's a failure. Yes.
0: There was a one, maybe the highlight of Russell, he was at Gladstone Small. Ashes, stumping down the leg side. Yeah. yeah that's on YouTube. It's good. I've got to put that on the Did you hear? Did you hear the way our voices changed? Oh, happy days. Well, as the great Sir Gabby Allen used to say, never put a pickled beetroot in a jockstrap. The cricket say just "Our." So as we get towards the end of the 20th century, you've got Stuart with England, West Indies had Geoffrey uh, Dujon. Who was also picked as a batsman yeah. because they had, um, uh, was it David Murray? Uh, that? Derek
1: Murray. Derek Murray, yeah. sorry. There uh, was a David Murray as well. No, I think David Murray also, no, David Murray was the guy that uh, was of a similar age. That's right, yeah. And I'm yeah. pretty sure Dujon's um, origin story, if you will, was that he, he looked around and went, I'm not going to get in as thing as batsman, but I might get in as the keeper. So yet again, you've got someone deciding to be a wicket. Keeper,
0: yes, and also with the nature of the West Indian bowling attack, I guess what you needed was a wicketkeeper athlete. He didn't um, take a lot of stumpings, uh, I think five in his in his career, which is more than you would expect. One of those was off after someone had run away from Patrick Patterson, I'm sure. Um, and you know, he was a very good Wicketkeeper keeper standing back, which is what, what they needed. And a, a, for several years, a really, really good batsman, and then his last few years, he was pretty poor but gloriously elegant. Um if uh, you award style points, which I generally do. Um, So uh, then New Zealand uh, had uh, Perore, who was chosen a lot for his batting. wasn't massively successful. um, Are you going to mention Lee Jamal? Not necessarily. Good, let's let's just walk right past it. Essentially, number seven had become largely the preserve of the keeper, offering a kind of reliable mid to high 20s average and generally a kind of nuggety batting style. And then came Gilchrist, who I mean, not completely on his own, but largely changed it. I mean, it had Andy, Andy Flower came before him. Andy Flatt came before him, and has numbers that are, are frankly eye-watering. Yeah, he um, averages over fifteen Test cricket. Andy Flower, yes, yeah. um, and uh, actually slightly more. Uh, yes, he averaged fifty-three as a w- wicketkeeper. He played eight tests as a batsman and didn't make a hundred and averaged thirty-five. Um, he was an e- extraordinary player, but, but again, two, you're talking about impact.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there's two important things about Flower. Yep, they were the new teams in Broadway. and although people of our age probably were a little bit excited by them, they were still the new team, so you didn't see them on TV that yeah. much. And also, um, his you know, if for those who never saw Eddie Flower play, he was a batsman who got the most out of himself.
0: Yes. He was not particularly uh, sex on wheels. <laughs> No, one in the say everybody likes different things, Jared, <laughs> and, and different vehicles. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was, a, he was not scoring many style points. But no. he was an uh, uh, incredible player and did some amazing, particularly in Asia. I think it was a couple of series with India. He, he was, uh, also generally played shorter series and you don't quite get those moments of, yeah. Uh, but, but, but it
1: was Gilchrist. And so that, that first test from Gilchrist to show the impact he'd had, he, he started in the, ODI team as a specialist batsman because they didn't quite have the heart to get rid of Ian Healy at that point. Basically, broke through, gets into the ODI team, starts to make big noise in ODI cricket. But it was that first test that he played. I think it was a Gabba against Pakistan, and Wasim Akram showed him. It's like you. You've never seen a test debutant be shown so much respect. Like, Akram was captain and just really, really um, lost it and put fielders out. It was eventually, I think he went out for 70 or 80-odd from a show back to a Yorker that was, you know, somewhere near the speed of light. <laughs> um, and then the next test he played, he made
0: 147 or 149 not out of 163 balls in the fourth innings To chase how much? To chase 369 from... Hundred and twenty six for five. Yeah. Against Wazim Wakar, Shoe Waktor, Zaplain Mushtak. And Mushtak Ahmed, wasn't it? I don't think so. Yeah. It was an incredible bowling attack. It was an incredible bowling attack.
1: Yeah, it really was. It was it was a top class bowling attack, but again that, that was Gilchrist's second test. And straight away, he came in, what did you say, it was 126 for five or yeah. something? And was in back the background, put all the fielders back. He'd made an impact on test cricket before he'd even played <laughs> it. It was it was so weird that everyone is, well, this the guy is so good. And the really interesting thing about um, Gilchrist was he averaged 60 for, I don't know, 20 or 30 tests or something. The rest of his career, he didn't average that much more than 30. He basically had a very long Dennis Lindsay uh, period, <laughs> and then he had a very standard Rod Marsh period.
0: I think that's a slight exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to crunch some numbers on that for you. But you know what I mean? There was... There was I know from the start of the 05 Ashes, that was a, a significant decline.
1: Well, I think his decline went long before then, though. He, at one stage, he was averaging high 50s for a yeah.
0: long period. Oh, undoubtedly. yeah. So, okay, well let's uh, let's have a let's have a look, Jared. Here we go. So yeah, in two thousand and three, end of two thousand three, uh well October two thousand three, his average went up to sixty-one. Uh by the time of the uh then he had a bit of a dip, but then had another peak to, But at the start of the ashes in oh five, his average had gone down to fifty, but then back up to fifty-five point six after sixty-eight tests. That's um that's a bit more than the 30 test <laughs> you've very generously given him uh, for his peak. But then after that, uh, from the start of that Ashes series, 28 tests, average 30, with just Rod Marsh period. 200s and uh, and six fifty. He, he had a slightly longer Dennis Lindsay period than uh, I remember. Slightly longer, yeah.
1: But, I mean, he was an incredible batsman and had, had this, this huge impact. But it wasn't like every team changed overnight either. Obviously, McCullum came in not long after, but wasn't given full... Um, Gilchrist license, I don't think, to start his career. Um, Boucher was still playing for South Africa. Boucher was basically a, a almost a specialist
0: keeper, like a 1950s keeper, realistically. Yeah, so his average was generally around about the 30 mark, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, England went through various options post stewart until, until Matt Pryor came in and was uh, initially a, a pretty weak wicket keeper. Got a 100 on debut, had a bit of a dip, but then once he got back in the team, his keeping was decent, and he was a fantastic batsman who got hard pressure runs often for England.
1: So I Um, think the real difference that Gilchrist made was the freedom to attack. So you didn't just want a batsman who could, uh, sorry, a keeper who could bat. You wanted um, someone who could break um, the opposition, and, you know, I've, I think that has been maybe the, the, the biggest difference, and that's what we saw afterwards um, um, coming through, so, certainly with, you know, um, guys like McCullum and Chandamal and Bairstow and Pryor and those sorts of players, and I'm forgetting Dhoni as well, which is another one um, uh, as well, so I think we, those are the, that's the sort
0: of difference that Gilchrist Yeah, Yes, you know. that type of player that the teams were looking for, um, just completely changed from what they were you know it was yeah the, the wiki was you know the Healy Russell type backs against the wall annoyance factor <laughs> down the order uh, rather than someone who could absolutely devastate the opposition and change the course of the game change the course of history in Gilchrist's case yeah in many ways I think the Dennis
1: Lindsay of his time
0: yeah stop it it's the drinks break carry on Andy, yes. what did you tell me about one day keeping? Well, one day keeping, and you mentioned Gilchrist having started in one days. I think one of the reasons he was so good when he came into the test was he was what well, mid 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 to late twenties, wasn't he? And so had a sort of rounded game and a lot of international experience. You look at one day keepers in terms of uh, their average in ODI cricket in the seventies and eighties, it was around eighteen. Through the nineties, twenty three. Then in the two thousands, it went up to twenty nine point five, and then this decade, it's been just under. Thirty-four. So, I mean, that is a huge rise uh, in terms of the productivity of wicketkeepers as batsmen and ODI critics. And how much we put that down to Ramesh Kalubatharna? Uh, all of it. We well, put all of well, it down. Let's give him 100% of the credit for that.
1: Because um, because I'm not sure if he was the first. I've got a feeling Junior Murray might have opened for the West Indies around the same time, if not slightly earlier. But for those who don't know... so. Um, Kaluwatharana opened the batting of Sanis Surya, and obviously Sanis J. Surya has gone on to be a legend of limited overs cricket and I don't know at any one stage he seems to have 19 important jobs in Sri Lanka <laughs> from chief selector through to I don't know overlord of whatever he is but um, Kaluwatharana had a small period where he was incredible. Problem was, it turned out he couldn't play Yorkers very well, and people started bowling very full and very straight, very quick to him, and he didn't go very well. But for a little while, he was one of the most exciting batsmen in the world, Kalu with Arana. And he would, he was, if, Genes- if Sanchez J. Soria had a, a sense of, um, a, a shred of, uh, I don't want to lose my
0: wicket about him.
1: Kalu didn't really have that he, uh, he was a bit more I'm just going to hit this
0: ball yes and as a result of which he did lose his wicket a lot more often um, but he played so it was really the 96 World Cup of those two sprang to prominence well Kalu uh, there was the series before in
1: Australia where it all started yes. wasn't it yeah so he didn't I don't think he was around that long
0: Kalu uh, well you said he played 112 ODIs as opening batsman oh okay so he got that wicketkeeper uh, a couple of hundreds, average 26, nearly 3,000 runs. But actually, interestingly, looking at this this list, um, Sri Lanka had been pioneered actually in using opening batsmen as, as keepers. So, from the, in the mid 80s, they had two guys, well, the, the first guy to do it regularly was Brendan Karupu and Amal Silva. But to be fair, it's um, easier for Sri Lanka to do that because they often pick four wicket keepers in <laughs> the team. Well, they do that, maybe they always did then. Andy Flower and Alex Stewart had done it. Uh, for Zimbabwe and, and England. But I think, yeah, Caro was definitely a game changer in terms of, you look at his stats compared with his sort of impact on the evolution of the game. he quite yeah. a big gap. But yeah, he was a... He was so exciting. Yeah, it was... Yeah, and it was... Uh, I remember watching England getting obliterated in that, that World Cup by Sri Lanka. And, you know, by modern standards, I don't know what they were after fifty nine no, from for about 100 or 110. By modern standards, it would be nothing. But at the time, it felt like cricket from another planet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they're going at 4.75 and over. We couldn't understand it. Um, Then, uh, well, Kennedy Otiena did quite a bit for Kenya. Uh, Gilchrist uh, was the the next guy after... Oh, so Junior Murray never... Junior Murray... He opened about I think, nine times in ODI's Journal. But what years were there? 96 and 97. Because. He's got three half centuries, to be fair. Yeah,
1: and he only had one shot. He did everything <laughs> over White on And so they eventually just started putting one of the theatres out at White on if I remember correctly. Ian Healy did it a couple of times as well. Um, and so it was, it was a bit of a trend. And I think, yeah, I think Kalu was really the, the sort of the catalyst for that. Um, and none of those guys that we have mentioned were massively successful um, and obviously Gilchrist did go on to be successful what, what did Alex Stewart average
0: opening in one day uh, 35 which is uh, well Gilchrist was 36 yeah so. strike uh, rate similar uh, Alex Stewart's strike rate was 69 and Gilchrist was 98 But uh, similar similar a phase yeah. of uh, evolution of one day cricket <laughs> sure man yeah, Gordon Gretz's one day strike rate was about two or something and he was one of the great attacking batsmen of all time when I think. Of all those people who lived and died before cricket was invented, it makes me weep tears of despair. That, that was a real potential market untapped financially.
1: So when I was coming up with the very, very strict um, guidelines of what this episode would be about, yeah. uh, one thing I thought to myself was, do keepers get worse for the bat as the game goes on, Andy? Right. Because I've got a feeling, I already know this, for one player, which I think is best though.
0: Yes, so Besto's kept wicket for England now in 37 tests. He played 17 tests as a as a batsman. His overall record is better as a keeper than it was as a batsman, but a, a lot of that is due to the fact that he plays. He's just better than well, was. he's become a better player, yeah. so it's not that he was necessarily better... We call that the
1: Shane Watson effect. When he started, <laughs> he started opening, he had a better record. It's like, that's because he wasn't batting very well
0: before that. <laughs> yeah, so he got older, more experienced, and, and better, as you say. Uh, he's got five centuries as a rookie, but they've all been in the opening innings of tests. He averages 59 from 25 innings, 500s, 550s. Uh, and in his 45 innings in the second, third and fourth innings of tests, uh, no centuries and an average of around about 32. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, that is a, that's a striking statistic. Are um, we, we could possibly read too much uh, into that. We could read too much. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and you know, there are a lot of people asking questions. Would he be better served by having Baersto as a, uh, just as a batsman? It doesn't necessarily follow that he would then average 59 in all four innings. Because- well, shoot. Hugh Berry
1: suggested, if you're going, and this is before Butler came in in this generation, this is the previous gener- time that Butler came in. Why not split wiki keeping up into two jobs? Yeah, which are, for me is the wrong way to think about wiki keeping to begin with, because I think that there are a lot of specialist skills to wiki keeping. But in this particular case um, you could see how that might freshen best though up yep. and also still giving the freedom to think he is
0: a keeper to a certain point. Yes. It's all who has the little dagger symbol on the scorecard. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Um, or the star symbol on the scorecard at Lords, which is wrong. Yeah, Absolutely wrong. Do to that? Lords. Listen, <laughs> it's not right. Um, daggers for keepers, stars for captains. That is how God intended it. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing with best though. Uh, uh, I'm not sure there's necessarily right or wrong answer. We may or may not ever find out. Is this a thing with other players? So the the broad trend is downwards through the course of a game, but it's downwards with all players. Yes, yeah. the pitch gets uh, gets get more difficult. So we're looking at wicket keepers through the entire history of Test cricket. There's a 9.3 percent decay in their average from the innings one to innings two. So that, that's nine uh, out of four. So the average thirty point five batting first in the yep. first innings, twenty seven point six in uh, batting second in the first innings. So innings two out of four. Yep. twenty five in innings three, and twenty two point six in innings four. So there's a decay of nine point three percent from the first innings to the second, nine point five percent from the second innings to the third, and nine point five percent from the third innings to the fourth, which is amazingly uniform. Whereas for, so I've compared it with all non wiki keepers. Yeah. There's a 4.2% decline from first innings to the second, but then a bigger decline, uh, slightly, uh, 10.4% from the um, second innings to the third, 4.2% from the third innings to the fourth. You know, the overall decline from the whole game, different between the first innings average and fourth innings average, Uh wiki keepers go down by 25%, non-wikki keepers by 17%. So they do go down by more, but not necessarily by as much no. as you would think. And so it might be
1: something that is worth watching for certain players yes. rather than for everyone.
0: Yes. And uh if you I, I've also looked at just top seven batsmen who have not kept with so non wicket keepers in the top seven and there the drop off is closer to the wicket keepers, it's a twenty two percent drop off from first to fourth innings, compared with uh, 25.8 for wicketkeepers okay. so it's not that much difference compared with other batsmen no tailenders decay a bit less maybe because they're getting a bit less in the first place yeah uh, if become slightly more pronounced this millennium the the difference between first innings and fourth innings for wicketkeepers is 31% since 2000 that seems a lot yeah, and for non wicketkeepers in the top 10 25% so I don't know if that's just that players are getting better in the first innings pitches are maybe a bit easier in the first innings bowling's maybe 31% is quite a decay though, yeah. considering it doesn't feel like fourth innings
1: is getting tougher to bat in than it's ever been. No, before.
0: but maybe there's more sort of fourth innings collapses. So I don't know. I mean, there's more have, collapses in yes, every test. So you'd have to dig through those stats to find out if there's much to be read into it. But best, I mean, it's quite a big sample size for, a for one player. Um, and if I was an England selector, which, as yet, I'm not, although having worked on Test Match Special, the door say, is now yeah. open. Yeah, have you not? No, nothing? Um, I'll, I'll pick I was a batsman, tell him he's the best fielder in the team and could be one of the top players batsmen in the world and um, see if that sets him off to a more productive future. This is the Cricket Sadist Hour, sponsored by the human race, planet Earth's number one species.
1: Andy, I'm going to take wiki keeping to the logical um, uh, position next. All right. Which is Finland. Of course.
0: So it there's a great. Spiritual home of glovemanship.
1: Yeah. So there was an incredible. Uh, I, I've now forgotten his name. I haven't written it down. But I think it, his name is Yuri. Finnish. Something Finnish. <laughs>
0: They're mostly called that over there, aren't they? Yeah.
1: And he was a guy who was a self taught um, goalkeeper in ice hockey who played for Finland and did quite well. But then. Um, Basically because there would, there had been no goalkeeping books written in, in, in Finnish, right? A bit like when you, if you want to find a book written on bowling or, or batting, you can find a hundred coaching manuals. Try and find one. On wikikeeping skills, <laughs> if, if at best it's wedged into the back of something else, um, and usually wikikeeping skills gets about as much time as fielding skills that does, or even less. So he was in a similar situation. So he basically came up with his own way of of goalkeeping, which was that instead of bouncing the ball away, um, he would try and catch everything. Oh, ball, sorry, puck. Sorry, if you're an <laughs> ice, ice hockey fan, I'm an ice hockey fan. Yeah. You're the, the
0: red Redhawks,
1: yeah. And so, so he would catch the puck, um, essentially, as much as he could, which meant that, without knowing it, he'd revolutionised how goalkeeping would go on in ice hockey because most goals in ice hockey are from rebounds, right, and from second and third chances. By catching it, he took those away. So anyway, he ends up becoming a great coach and changing the sport. And he now runs um, goalkeeping. Um, what well, up until recently, I'm not sure he's, he hasn't retired yet. But up until recently, he was still coaching some of the world's best um, uh, goal uh, goal tenders from around the world. Now we don't have anything like that in cricket. Wait, second in the first or second year of the IPL was the first time we'd ever had a specialist wicketkeeper uh, coach at the top level of cricket. We we don't um, have. Uh, Wikikeeping uh, manuals on just how to learn how to keep. We have no real emphasis on the skills. And I'm going to point out, we've talked about Besto a lot, and he is one of the most fascinating players when it comes to all this. So Besto had an absolutely horror run. Uh, he went on a tour of South Africa where he almost ruined Chris Wokes' entire career. <laughs> he came back and averaged 90 with the bat, and, and seemed to be dropping a catch every 12.4 seconds, <laughs> and he was just terrible with that. And then he had these next two tours after that with Bangladesh and India. With wicket keeping, as we've already discussed, is far more important. Um, taking catches at the stumps is far harder. Um, I mean, to give you the Charles Davis um, numbers, who's the statistician who's gone through all the catches and drops on Quick info, 36% of stumpings in Tests are missed Uh, or stumping chances are missed so it's very hard Stumpings are far harder than we give credit for so Bairstow goes off in the same squad is James Anderson and Alistair Cook James Anderson has a fast bowling coach who is full time and who's there available for him at any time despite being one of the most experienced bowlers in the world Alistair Cook has a full time batting coach. Bestow has a casual wicketkeeping coach coming in out, Bruce French. And it's not, not the only one. We don't really specialise this. We, we are picking increasingly part time people who are having to learn on the fly and then not even giving them the tools that they need to succeed. It's really interesting the way that wicketkeeping has been ignored.
0: Yes, and maybe it's that difficulty in measuring the impact of a wicketkeeper. Uh, because you can't just measure it by catches taken because, that's, you
1: know. Well, who has the world record for the most catches taken in a year of test cricket? Uh, ooh, it's not Cameron Atman, is it? It's not Cameron oh, Atman. Oh, that's lucky. <laughs> it is Johnny Pesto. <laughs> right. Well, they, but, oh, of course, yeah. But my guess is that that year he might have also broken the world record for the most... Catches missed right. which is not having a go at him it's just that right. if he had that many opportunities there's a chance that he went in both ways yeah. um, and 15% of catches by Scott and Charles Davis are missed but but there's a really it's not just best though no. it's very important to remember that and his wicketkeeping has got better over the yes. last uh, little while but Mustafa Raheen at one stage missed 10 consecutive chances <laughs> And nothing happens. And we don't measure. We, we're still not measuring these things correctly. Um, you've got places like Crickfish coming through with some very basic stats. But basically, uh, either we, we, when someone drops a catch, we either say, well, everyone drops them. Or uh, we focus massively on that one drop. <laughs> like when Bestow made was 167 at, at Lords and dropped a catch on the same day, went into the press conference expecting everyone to tell him how great he was, and he was told, uh, you've dropped a catch today. <laughs> And he was upset. But realistically, he should be upset. Uh, sorry, well he shouldn't be upset. He should be under pressure for yeah. dropping those sorts of catches. Um, so we're a long way away from I think working those sorts of things out. I think eventually spatial tracking software will be able to do a lot of this for us. They'll be able to tell us when a wicketkeeper doesn't go for a ball that they should yeah. be going
0: for. And I guess it's all you know about how difficult a chance was and whether you can measure that as a catch that is taken forty-three percent of the time. You work out you know each wicketkeeper's you know catch average above expectation or whatever That's. I think that's where we're going to have to get to and I think we get one day cricket will be there but we're
1: a long way away at the moment but the interesting thing is that from the 1950s onwards we did start counting runs so we have looked at one particular metric for wicket keepers it's just that we haven't really factored it all in at the moment but with the sort of lack of coaching and the sort of and the lack of data, it, it's hard to see how wicket-keeping is going to improve. And it certainly is not as good as it used to. So for me, most modern wicket-keepers are point-fielders um, who put gloves on and dive. And you cannot be as successful catching the ball when you're diving all the time
0: as you can if you're moving your feet and your head above the ball. Yes. It's interesting, uh, T20 and the art of wicket-keeping, I think, is one of the interesting things. Because in T20, you don't generally need 11 batsmen. So it ought to, there ought to be scope for the specialist wicketkeeper. I was looking at stumping stats. So oh, in the first... As uh, you do. <laughs> well, Not even for the show, just, giant. yeah. Um, so you like, like a stumping, stumping step, though, too. Let's actually to be honest here. You, you do I like a stumping stomach. Can we just quickly talk about Cool Deep? You Old Trafford. Johnny and Joe Root, both stumped first ball. First time in the history of all international cricket, men's and women's in all three formats, that two top seven batsmen have been stumped for naught in the same innings, let alone off consecutive balls. Oh, that is a If you don't get a book deal for that. Um, so that was well done, Cooley and uh, and MSW. Uh, so through Test cricket up until the end of the 1950s, um, uh, of all the fielding dismissals, stumpings accounted for... Between sort of five and a half and seven percent, generally, decade by decade. So it probably average around about you know six to six and a half percent. Then uh, it dipped down to three point one percent in the sixties, and then was below. It's been below three percent in every decade since. Stump number of stumpings. Uh, percentage of fielding dismissals have been stumped in Test cricket. Uh, the percentage of wicketkeeping dismissals, you know, all wicketkeepers dismissals as stumpings was uh, uh, always above. Basically, always above twenty-five percent uh, up until the war. Uh, then twenty-one percent in the forties, eighteen percent in the uh, in the fifties, which was a big big decade for spin. Then dropped to ten percent in the sixties and been below ten percent ever since. Uh, now, in uh, in T Twenty cricket, this is all T Twenty, not just international cricket. We've had more than again it's been back up to that six six and a bit percent of fielding dismissals have been stumpings, and uh, basically a third of wicketkeepers' dismissals in T Twenty are stumpings. So if That's interesting. If a third of stumping chances are missed, and we don't know whether that's the same in Test cricket and T20... You think it would be, though? There's no reason not to. If you can have a high-grade wicketkeeper who isn't going to miss those chances, and you have a decent batting line that doesn't need extra runs, how much worth could that be for a T20 team?
1: I like it. I like it a
0: lot. Cricket! Cricket! Do as you told, you naughty little blighter! Eat your dinner!
1: The cricket fate is hour So I had a fight with a younger journalist about Physical it. Yeah, I punched him in the face. Will McPherson <laughs> um,
0: about
1: about this because a lot of younger fans have grown up on Keeper batsman and they don't understand they don't understand Jack Russell. <laughs> And so they don't understand the impact that really good wiki keeping And what I would call what, what Darren Berry or Bob Taylor or Jack Russell did, which is proactive wiki keeping, in that they make, um, and we've seen Ridham and Zaha do this at times as well, and for some Jair Wardner did it quite a bit, is they can actually make a dismissal happen through their wiki keeping rather than reacting to a chance.
0: And so, for, so Russell, for Gloucestershire, late uh, Latin in his career, Gloucestershire had this amazing run of success in domestic one-day cricket. And a lot of their strategy was based on Russell standing up to medium paces. Yeah. And, uh, they, you know, he, they weaponized to medium pace they, they weaponized medium pace through the art of wicket
1: keeping yeah and uh, Victoria used to use their first slip was almost a second slip because Darren Berry covered so much more ground than a normal wicket keeper and didn't and, and just had incredible hands so little things like that not to mention that you can plan for leg side like stumpings and you know and if your wicket keeper can go up to the stump to someone uh, stump to someone in who's bowling in the low 80s that completely changes you know um, uh, the the uh, uh, and as you said, what is it, 3% of dismissals? It gives you a slightly higher chance of getting a dismissal. So, um, essentially, there is, a, there is something that you can massively do to that. But a lot of younger fans don't, don't see that as much because they've, been, they've grown up on wicket keepers who are far more batting-orientated, and, and they see it this way. But there's a really important one that I want to talk about, which is at Cardiff in 2015, England were batting first and they were 43 for 3 when Joe Root came out. And his second ball he edged behind to Brad Haddon. And Brad Haddon dropped the catch. Root went on to make, let's say, 134 out of 430. Um, no one else in that inning, so England made over 77. So England went on to win that match and they went on to win the series. Had Root gone out at that stage, Australia were absolutely flying. There's a huge opportunity for Australia to probably roll England out for 100, 150. Um, Australia went on to make about 300, I think, in that first innings. That drop catch from Haddon, who at that stage was it wasn't that he's a poor wicketkeeper. Um, it was that he was past his best. He was a very good wicketkeeper in his 20s. Unfortunately, Gilchrist was still around. <laughs> uh, by the time he made the Australian team, he wasn't nowhere near as good as a keeper as he was when he was younger. But he, he dropped that catch because he was a bit past his best, but because he dropped that catch, realistically Australia was behind in that entire series. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know the difference that good wicket keeping makes from from standard wicket keeping. Just it, it, it's it's ridiculous to think otherwise. Um, of course the great story is Chris Scott. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, the Darren wicketkeeper. Darren wicketkeeper who dropped Brian Lara on twenty on 18? eighteen. I think it was. Yeah, dropped him on eighteen. and Brian Lara made five
0: hundred and one. Yeah. yeah, and well, Gooch made his. 333 at the Oval was an absolute sitter dropped by Kieran More when was on 36 I think yeah so the impact that these sorts of you know and, and because wicket keepers take
1: on average um, I think it's four catches a game they you know that's imagine having one of your bowlers who you couldn't rely on to, to be producing four or five wickets a game. So it's, it's such, I think the impact of it is sometimes undersold because if everyone's keeping a little bit worse, you don't notice it as much. But then, you know, if we do have another persona J Ward necessarily turn up, um, I think people will start to go, there's, there's actually an impact here on, on the overall. And, you know, the, the fact that leg spin is getting bigger in things like T20, you really probably want someone by the stumps who can pick it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and is a natural against it.
0: You're listening to baseball today, the cricket version.
1: All right, one last thing, Andy, just before we send everyone off. Do you remember Michael
0: Bates? I'm glad he put, didn't put the words to sleep <laughs> at the end of that. I think that's long. That point is long since passed, Jared. I, I do remember with soft him, hands, uh, Michael Bates, um, yeah. who was uh, at Hampshire. He was in latterly Somerset, and it did, it did, he did pop around a little bit. But I'm not sure if he ever played for Somerset.
1: But he might have been on their books. But so here's. Second last professional game was for Wiltshire in Mind County's Limited Overs okay. cricket. He made a duck and he took two stoppings. The top scoring batsman from the opposition, he stumped both of them. He was probably the last pure wicket keeper, I think, in county cricket. There's obviously a few I think there's a few more throughout first class cricket in the world. But Michael Bates is currently twenty-seven. He hasn't played a first class game since he was twenty-four, and he's now a wicket keeping coach. Had Michael Bates lived in the 1930s, there would be <laughs> monuments to Michael Bates. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? how much things have changed? I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to compare him to Seymour Clark. Because you can't compare any man to Seymour, to, compare to Seymour Clark. But the, how we just don't believe in wicket-keeping as a skill anymore. And so when we have a really talented wicket-keeper, they are more likely to be training someone else who's not as good as them but can bat better than we would be to see them wicket-keeping at the top level.
0: And how much of that is down to this difficulty in measuring it? Being I mean, must must be almost someone be. a sheep, So you know, yeah. with a batting average... With strike rates, what, slugging percentages, whatever you want to use, you can write that out and look, he is better than him. With a wicket We've got nothing. We can't do that yet, can yeah. we? It's but all eye tests, isn't it? It's all, so it's hunches. And then, you know, if you've got no sort of hard evidence to go on, yeah. then how do you quantify it? I agree. Um, and also, I don't think if we had, if we had the wicketkeeping version
1: of Adam Gilchrist, like someone who was as revolutionary with wicketkeeping, how do you stop the fact that Guys like Gary Wilson are getting selected to wicket kid. Like it has to be almost from the ground level up or it almost has to be something that maybe Asia, Asia as a, uh, as a, as a block all start to do and then it becomes something wide. Otherwise I just don't see how you change.
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there hasn't been more use of the specialist keeper in T20 given that you don't need your tail end.
1: It's funny. Friendly. It's funny. The more that we've talked in this podcast, the more it sounds like
0: you're trying to get yourself a position. As a specialist wicket keeper, well, you know, I've, I've taken t- t- two of my last two stumping chances, 100% success rate. That's all I can say. That's science, Jared. That is pure science. Can we, we haven't mentioned Sarah Taylor yet. I think we should have at least give her a mention from this, in this podcast.
1: Doesn't sound like a tokenism at all for you. To...
0: <laughs> are, you... Well, are you putting her above
1: you in wicket keeping or below?
0: Uh, ah, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> oh. uh, hmm. I think probably above. Okay. But, um, it's, it could have gone either way, but... But her wicket, that's one of the great joys of modern cricket, isn't it? Sarah
1: Taylor's wicket? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, she's brilliant to watch. She's brilliant to watch. And, in fact, one thing about women's cricket is the wicket keepers are up at the stump so much more. Yeah, so it's,
0: it's that much more important, like, as, you know, Russell was for, for Gloucestershire. So, so, again, that's a big part of it's, England's game, isn't it? In some ways, all um,
1: women's wicket keepers are Jack Russell.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's, you know, true okay. or complimentary or whatever, <laughs> but I mean, let's, let's run with it. It's certainly complimentary. Well, it is absolutely complimentary. Are you outside cricket? Oh, then you have no business here.
1: On the uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please like and share and, uh, do the thing on iTunes and tell your friends about it and, um, tell them how attractive Andy is. Maybe mention that his wicket keeping, um, success rate
0: of stumpings is 100%. Yeah, 100% in the, over the last, well in fact three, if you can include the Tudor stumping. Yeah. I'm three for three over the last 30 years, I think. And I think- 100% over three decades, Jared. How many keepers can claim that in world cricket?
1: If you can't share the podcast based on that information, I think just go up to people in in the streets and tell them that fact and then just thrust your mobile device at them while playing it. And after you've liked it and shared it and done all the other good things that help us out. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Bye-bye.